Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we, we pretty much went through most of this last week, but, you know, I didn't touch on the last two verses in my sermon, although we had read it in the text. But I want us to go back and really look at this, and I, I wanted to save these last two verses for today, because they're pretty special, okay? This is Paul's prayer of praise, and um, it's, it's pretty awesome. So um, you can refer to it as... Paul's powerful prayer of praise, okay? Sometimes, you know, in Sunni, they warn us about using a lot of alliteration, you know, where you have all the words, you have one letter or something like that. <clears throat> kind of like doggerel poetry. It's like, it's not always good to do that. But today we're going to do it because it'll help you maybe remember it. This is Paul's powerful prayer of praise, okay? Uh, so we got the P's, no Q's there, but uh, so if you have questions, save them, all right? But this is Paul's powerful prayer of praise, and that's what we read earlier in verse 14. We'll start reading from verse 14 because that puts it in context. <clears throat> Excuse me. Paul writes to the Ephesian church and he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, <clears throat> that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, bless us in your word at this time. I pray that you would guide us and direct our thoughts, help us not to be distracted in our thinking, but to pay good heed to what your word says. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. So we come here to uh, this section, these last two verses. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able, he says. It's an interesting phrase. It's used elsewhere in scripture for quite a few times. Speaking of God's ability. Now to him who is able, and here Paul tells us to able to do what, we might say. He tells us to do above all things, exceedingly above and beyond measure, of which we ask or think, you could also say ask or imagine, According to the power, and the, and the original brings out the idea, the power effectively at work among us or in us. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus, literally to unto all the generations of the age of the ages. That's the Greek way, you know, Ionos, ton Ionon, the way of looking at eternity, the ages of the the age of the ages, in other words, forever and ever, we would say. 
after recounting the infinite blessings of grace and glory bestowed upon the church and teaching them from his example of prayer and petition to ask for all that God has provided for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the Apostle Paul goes from prayer to praise, from beseeching prayer to ascriptions of praise and adoration. True prayer opens the door through Christ to true worship. We learn how to pray. We learn how to worship. It makes sense, doesn't it? We know when we come for a worship service, we're, there's going to be prayer because we're talking to God. And that's why we confess our sins so we can be restored back to active fellowship with God. You know, as Christians, you're saved. Your sins are forgiven. But we have a tendency to continue and commit sins. As John says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, and I've told you before, I am amazed that the Apostle John, the beloved disciple, says we, okay? Because I would think if anybody was sinless, it would have been that guy because he was he was with Jesus all through his ministry, leaned on Jesus's breast at the Last Supper, remember? And Peter said, hey, who's he talking about when Jesus said one of them was going to betray him? And so John asked him and Jesus said, well, the one I dipped the bread into, I handed it to him, that's the one. Or the, the actually it wasn't bread because there's no leaven in the Passover feast, but the... the uh, uh, today would be like the flatbread kind of. Uh, so John knew he was with. He was there at the at the cross. Jesus committed the care of his mother into John's hands. You know, and he said, "Woman, behold your son." And he was talking about John at that point. He says, "Son, behold your mother." And John says in his gospel from that time, John took Mary into his home and cared for her like his own mother. So Jesus uh, trusted John to take care of his mom. And so, uh, wonderful man. But he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So John the Apostle understood this, that even though we're sinners, we've been saved. But even though we're saved, we're sinners. And so when we go to God for and confess our sins, it's not so that we can be saved again and again and again. That's silly. Uh, if Christ has saved you, your salvation is not in your hands. But we still are awaiting the redemption of our flesh. So we still have the appetites and the emotions and all the things that accompany an unregenerate body. Our spirits have been born again. We look forward, as Paul says in Romans 8, to the time when our bodies are fully redeemed. And there'll be a time when you'll never have an evil thought or never have a bad attitude or not have to deal with lust or unlawful anger and all those kinds of things. It'll be all gone. It's been broken now. The power of sin is broken in the life of a Christian, but it's still present. You know, I, I heard read a thing a while back about a fellow in Indonesia that died because he got bit by a cobra. But the reason why he died and was close to a cobra, they'd actually killed the cobra, cut its head off, and he was. They were going to cook it up and eat it. I don't know if I'd want to eat that, but uh, the head was sitting on the counter, and apparently. The head bit him and he died from it. So the head had been cut off, but it was still deadly. So as Christians, that's the serpent of sin has been rendered a death blow. The head of the serpent's been crushed by Christ. That's both Satan and sin in us when we're born again. But it's still deadly and it's still something to not play around with. Now, if you're a Christian, you hate sin. You've got a new nature. I had a fellow I was talking to him a long time ago and he was he believed that a Christian could lose his or her salvation. And I said, well, how can you do that if Christ is your savior? 
you know, and he would say, well, you know, it says the dog returns to his vomit and the cow that was, oh, excuse me, the, the pig that was washed returns to wallowing in the mire. And I said, well, here, let me read the passage. So I deliberately misread it to him, not because I was trying to twist scripture. I was trying to make a point to him. I said, oh, let's see here. It says, yeah, the lamb returns to its vomit and the lamb that was washed returns to wallowing in the mire. And he said, no, that's not what it says. This is a dog and a pig. I said, yeah. And he looked at me and go, oh, <laughs> okay. I say, when you're born again, your nature is changed. You're born again. You do struggle with sin, but that's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. If you're truly saved, you struggle against sin. You want it out of your life. Okay. You know, sometimes you, you know, an animal that's been shot or something with an arrow, it's, it wants the arrow out. Well, by God's grace, those arrows that the enemy throws at us, those fiery darts, Christ can pull them out. And Christ does sanctify his people. Fortunately, we often fail to take the shield of faith with us in the spiritual armor that God's provided. The point is, we do sin. And when we confess our sins, the idea is not to get resaved, it's to restore fellowship. If I may say so, I'm not trying to pick on anybody here because I fall into this category all too often myself. But it wouldn't surprise me to say some of you that are here have been out of fellowship with the Lord for a long time. Okay? Because you haven't bothered to really confess your sins and get honest with God and acknowledge, yeah, I, that was wrong what I said. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't allow that thought in my head. And you go to God. He's more quick to, and willing to forgive you than you're willing to ask. He wants you to be in fellowship with him. That's why he wrote the Bible. That's why 1 John talks about walking in the light as he is in the light. And he says that if we walk in the light, note that again, we, the church, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that means we're walking with him. We have fellowship one with another. It's like, well, does that mean with God or with each other? It means, yes, it means we have fellowship with God's people because we're walking in the light. It's safe for people to be around you because you're walking with God. And we have fellowship with God. And in that fellowship, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so God wants you to be in fellowship with him. That's why the Bible speaks about confessing sin. And if, you know, sometimes, you know, we read about the joy of the Lord and we go, well, I'm not sure I know what that is. Beloved, God wants you to know what that is. That's why it's important. That's why I'm dwelling on this a little bit. It's really important for us on a practical level to take time daily sometimes multiple times in a day, but particularly take times daily and search your heart and think, okay, Lord, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, I, I should have changed the channel when that came up on the TV and I didn't. Lord, give me grace. Next time he'll give you strength. Maybe go out of, you know, if some stupid movie or something, you know, uh, or just blasphemous things. You know, there's so many times now in the films, they take God's name in vain and stuff like that. Things that are inappropriate, uh, listening to even, you know, off-color humor and stuff. Just think all this stuff, it just kills us spiritually and it breaks fellowship with the Lord. The Bible tells us not to grieve the spirit of God whereby you are sealed till the day of redemption. And yet we do that all too often. And God wants you to walk in a holy manner. That means trusting him, turning away from those things that displease him and really having fellowship with him. And that's how we begin to know the joy of the Lord. <clears throat> so, Prayer really does lead to praise. <clears throat> Confession is a real important part of our prayer. It says in Scripture, and you know, we're talking about God hearing our prayers today. Uh, 
David wrote and said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So if you're plotting evil or you're thinking of doing things you shouldn't be doing or you're carrying sinful grudges and anger in your heart, give that to God. Get rid of it. Just say, And if you're having trouble letting go of it, tell the Lord, Lord, I really am having trouble letting go of this. Please help me. He's compassionate. He understands your weaknesses, you know, um, but do confess your sins and go to him and, and keep a short account with God. And so Paul here goes from uh, beseeching prayer that is asking for things for others and himself in prayer to ascriptions of praise. You know, these last two verses, he's really talking about God there and what kind of a God it is we serve. If we would learn from scripture how to pray, we'd also learn the same on how to worship and praise God because they go together. One gives birth to the other, we might say. This is common in Paul's writings. If we look at verse 20, he says, Now to him who is able to do exceeding, to him what? As he says toward the end, uh, to him be the glory, in verse 21. To him be glory in the church. Note that. that he's not talking about an institution or a building here. He's talking about the people of God. The ekklesia, the word ekklesia, most of you know this. The word ek in Greek means out of. There you have a Greek lesson written above the doors. They exit. That's the way out. The way out of Egypt. And you know, the book about that for Israel was the, in, in our English Bibles, it's called the Exodus. Okay. Hadas means road. X is out of. It was the road out. Okay. We have exits. X. And then klesia comes from the, the root word kaleo, which means to call. So the ekklesia is a called out assembly called out group of people. It was originally used of the Athenian uh, city population because citizenship wasn't given to everybody. But if you were a citizen in Ephesus, you'd be called into a gathering. They usually met in the amphitheater and the, the whole city would assemble and then they'd vote on laws and different decisions that were made. And once those were made, then a fellow would, the ecclesia, that's what they were called, the called out assembly, and then once they had issued new laws or decided on certain things, then a fellow would go out called a crooks. Um, that's a Greek word. I'm not going to try to spell it in English. Uh, the crooks would go out and uh, he would authoritatively proclaim the new law. And that actually in the New Testament is a word used for preaching. Okay. For the, a preacher uh, and the message authoritatively proclaimed. And so God has sent that forth, but the place where his glory is manifested is the church. Note that to him be glory in the church. So God's people are to be the place where God's glory, they are the place where God's power and glory is seen, manifested, not visibly necessarily, but in changed lives. So in our gatherings together, Sunday morning worship service, but other times of fellowship also. In the churches where God's glory is seen, because that's where God's love is shown. It doesn't mean it, it's not shown elsewhere. The Bible tells us the earth is filled with the glory of God in the creation. You know, sometimes we need to pray, Lord, open my eyes. I, this world is filled with your glory. The devil works way over time trying to obscure that through lies like evolution and other things. Uh, I remember, you know, when they talk about the territorial warning signs that birds give out when they're in the trees chirping, you know. And then I remember reading in John Calvin, when he says the birds chirp because they're glorifying God, <laughs> like, 
wait a minute, there's a couple of, there's two different approaches here to birds chirping, aren't there? You know, are they being territorial? Yeah, it could be. Birds can be little stinkers, I suppose. Uh, but are they glorifying God? And then I then Calvin also points out the reason why the animals glorify God, why the birds glorify God when they chirp, that's what they're supposed to be doing. They're birds. They're supposed to chirp. When they're doing what God made them to do, they're glorifying his name. What's the problem with man? Well, we don't do that, do we? He made us to glorify his name, to speak the truth in love, to be gentle, kind, all the fruits of the spirit. And we fail to do that. That's our problem. So the the lower creation, you know, when the, the dogs are barking or whatever, dogs can be little jerks too sometimes. I've got one that is at times. Uh, but the lower creation, you know, they, they can uh, be, be nuisances. But generally, they don't try to be anything other than what they are. Okay? The problem with us is we try to be something other than what we are. We're creatures of God, and we try to be God. That was the problem. Okay? And so we just start trusting in the Lord. We start being what we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing, we find a lot of peace in that. So uh, the lower creation does glorify God. We need to learn how to glorify him. One of the ways we learn that is through prayer. And what he says here, the church. Okay, so what are we? We are the church. Let's start acting like it. This is the place where God's glory is manifested. And that doesn't mean you're going to see, you know, gold dust coming from the ceiling. Sorry, I don't mean to pick on anybody here in town. But it doesn't mean you're going to see gold dust or, you know, a special, you know, light is going to float around the building or something like that, like that. It means that's where you're going to see truth spoken. That's where you're going to see people being gentle and kind with each other. That's where you're going to see Jesus glorified. And, you know, uh, when you're going to see smiles on people's faces when the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory and goodness are mentioned, they're going to go, yeah, amen, praise God. And that's not just in the confines of this assembly right here this morning, but anytime you meet God's people, isn't it wonderful? You guys know this. If you're walking with the Lord, you meet another Christian, and you start talking about Jesus. It comes up, you find out, hey, he or she's a Christian, you are too. And all of a sudden, there's this bond of fellowship that takes place because the Holy Spirit's in that brother or sister and in you also. I've seen that happen with people who didn't even speak English. Okay, I couldn't speak their language, but we were able to figure out we both love Jesus and the gospel, and it was really great. Uh, you know, it's just one of that fellowship that we have in Christ. That's where God's glory is manifested in the church and then note not just in the church but in the church by christ jesus literally it's in christ jesus but the word in in greek can also mean by means of jesus is the one that brings about the glory the glory of god is seen in the face of jesus christ that's what paul says in second corinthians and so paul here is ascribing to god this ability and power he says not now now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Very important. God's already told us, actually by having this verse put in the Bible, or you could say these two verses, that he's willing to do these things. You know, sometimes, you know, remember the leper? I always uh, think about him. It, and it's recorded in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew 8, 2, Mark 1, 40, Luke 5, 12. The leper came to Jesus and he said, if you are willing you can make me clean. That word, you can, same word that Paul's using here in Ephesians. Him that is able to, the one who can, okay? The leper, as I've said before, he didn't doubt Jesus's abilities. He knew Jesus had been performing miracles. He understood that. He just wasn't sure if Jesus would want to have anything to do with him. We're often in that same condition because we're like, well, I messed up. I'm in the, 
I've got the troubles I have because I'm a sinner. Well, we're not told how that leper became a leper, okay? It might have been a chastening from God on him. You know, clearly in one sense really was, but we're not told about that. But he comes to Jesus and he'd been meeting with nothing but rejection because if you were a leper in Israel, you couldn't participate in anything in society, whether in the temple or in the town. You couldn't be around people. So he comes to Jesus, kneels down before him, worships Jesus, we're told. And he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And for all time and eternity, I believe Jesus cleared up the question, is he willing? A leper is an unclean person. And Jesus, I've talked about this a lot because I'm amazed by it. Okay, then I think most of us can identify with this guy. Luke says he was filled with leprosy from head to toe. This guy was completely just wasted. But he comes to Jesus, kneels down. He says, if you're willing, Lord, actually, he says, Lord, he acknowledges Jesus as Lord, says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. That's a prayer. says, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus moved with compassion, stretched forth his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be clean. And as Jesus said that and he touched him, Boom, it says, immediately his leprosy departed. It was in a flash. All of a sudden, this guy that was filled with leprosy, boom, it's not there anymore. It's gone. Why? Because he came to Jesus. So, you know, the question, did Jesus, didn't he become ceremonially unclean when he touched a leper? He didn't touch a leper. As soon as he touched him, he wasn't a leper. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Same thing with us. Jesus doesn't partake of our sins in a sinful way. He takes our sins away. And so the question of his willingness has been settled, I believe. You know, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. We pray that and we go to him because he said he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you're going around like a spiritual leper, you need to go to Jesus and don't doubt his willingness to help you and do not doubt his ability. This is what Paul said, now to him who is able. Well, what's he able to do? He's able to do exceedingly abundantly. And Paul's using a whole lot of superlatives in the original, and we have them here in our English translation. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. That's what causes you to ask or think for the things you ought to be asking or thinking about. So your petitions and your thoughts, God's power goes beyond those things exceeding he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think so we need to maybe learn to expand our thinking a little bit don't we we need to learn well what should i be asking for if he's able to do it and he's willing to do it you remember john says in first john if we pray according to his will he hears us so if i learn from scripture what it is that i should be asking for i can have the confidence that god is going to grant these requests Maybe not right away. You know, some say, you know, when God doesn't answer prayer, he actually has answered it. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's not yet. And But he does hear our prayers when we pray according to his will. So the thing that's important, we need to find out what his will is. And you find that out from scripture. So now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all, all things, that's plural, by the way, in the original, all things, everything, that we ask or think, and the idea of the word think there 
uh, as the word for your mind, having to do with your imagination, you know, a little sanctified imagination goes a long way when it's tempered by God's word. Again, what are the things you should be asking? Well, if you're ignorant of scripture, you're not sure. How can you know if you don't know what God has said? But if you read your, your Bibles and you meditate on it and you think about it, and you can say, Lord, I want to know your word. I want to know what I should be praying for. Then you can begin praying according to his will and trust him to help you and to answer your prayers. Paul says he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask for, I think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Wait a minute. He, Paul just slipped in there and told us what we should be praying for. Okay, what should you be praying for? That God would be glorified in his church among his people by Christ Jesus. There's your prayer request from this section. Okay, to him be glory in the church. So that's really important. By Christ Jesus. And no, to all generations. To all generations of the ages, age of the ages, literally forever and ever. Because the church by God's grace is going to be around forever and ever. God's redeemed people have been given eternal life. And so we have a future and it never ends in glory and joy and in the fullness of God's blessings. So what can we take away from this? Okay, well, we understand we come to Jesus like the hymn says, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. We come to him, we make confession of our sins. And then we look, it's okay to ask, Lord, I really want to be your your man, I want to be your woman, you know, if you're a lady. Uh, I want to be the person you want me to be. Lord, I'm, I'm tired of not serving you as I should. Uh, I want to do all my job, if you if you have a job. I want to really glorify you by being the best I can be. Uh, at home, I want, to, I want my home to be a place where your name is honored and it's overflowing with your love and compassion. And when we get short with each other, we keep a short account on that and learn to apologize and do what's right before you. Uh, but Lord, I want to I want to do Your will. I want to honor You. So, first thing we there's seven things here. Well, we'll make application. Of. First, to remember this: God is able. To Him who is able, you know, in Jude 24 it says, "To Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy." To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and Forever, same exact words Jude uses. To him who is able, same phrase in the from the original. In Romans sixteen, Paul says sixteen twenty five and twenty seven. Paul said, "Now to him who is able." Paul used the exact same phrase there. To do what? To establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest by the prophetic scriptures. There's a lot here, uh, but now made manifest by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith to God alone wise again he says be glory through Jesus Christ forever amen now to him who is able so God is able that's the thing to remember when you're praying God can do whatever his is consistent with his nature and his will okay that's why you can't pray for evil things because God does not go against his nature. He's always God. He does not deny himself. So if we read the Bible, we won't be asking for sinful things or stupid things. We'll be asking God to be glorified and he will answer us. He's able to do that. So when you go to him in prayer and you know, well, the Bible says I need to 
clean up my act or the Bible says I need to love my neighbor or husbands, you know, I need to love my wife more or wives. I need to love my husband and, and you know, be a good example of a Christian wife, et cetera, et cetera. God's able to bring that about. He'll work in you. It's a power that works in you by the gospel. So God is able. That's the first thing to remember. The second thing is your mind is not the measure of his power. Okay, your mind is not the measure of his power. Because remember, it says in this text, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So this idea that, well, I just can't conceive it. Well, you know, you're not going to ask for things that you can't mentally at least uh, come into contact with. All right. You've got to have somewhat of an idea. If you're going to ask, you have to think it. But you need to realize there's a whole lot more to this than just what I presently know. Isn't it sad when someone thinks they've arrived in their knowledge? You know, uh, that's why it's always dangerous. It's great if somebody's able to get a good education and get a Ph.D., but man, I've seen so many friends when they get a PhD, they think it, it, it uh, bestows infallibility upon them, okay? Uh, they've arrived, they now know, they have their degree. It's great to have be educated, I'm not knocking that at all, okay? But don't let it go to your head, okay? There's always something more to learn. People who are truly educated know that, all right? But, you know, a, a fool with a PhD is a fool, all right? And we see that in a lot of our universities. So don't be that way, but recognize, you know, there's more to learn. Your mind uh, can be expanded by God's word. As the Holy Spirit opens up scripture, he'll open up your capacity to receive it. Well, there's something maybe to be praying about. huh? Uh, <clears throat> your mind is not the measure of his power. So if you like, I just don't see how God can do that. <clears throat> That's okay. If he says in his word, he can do it and he's willing to do it, then you can pray. You know, yeah, I just prayed earlier that God would convert the nations and bring the Jewish people back into the church. A lot of people would say, oh, I don't think that's going to happen because I just can't see it. man. I know a lot of Jewish people. I know a lot of Gentiles and they're just hardened against the gospel and they don't want nothing to do with Jesus. Yeah. You mean like like Saul of Tarsus? Yeah. God can change them like me. OK, you didn't know me before I was saved. You wouldn't want to have known me. I would not have wanted to know me before I was saved, okay? Uh, when Christ does a change in our hearts, we're changed. And if someone says, well, I just can't see it. You know, that guy, he's just too big of a sinner. Uh-uh. God's able to do it. Your mind is not the measure of God's power. God is the measure of his power. He's infinite, almighty. Remember that term we used, almighty? Pantokrator is the Greek word, and it means all-powerful. He's able to do it. He's able, and his self, he himself is the measure of his power. Now, unbelief might limit his willingness to work. You remember when Jesus went to Nazareth? He said he was unable to do many miracles there. So I said, oh, he was made unable. Yeah, because of their unbelief. And it's like, well, how did that? The reason why I wasn't able to heal people in Nazareth is they weren't bringing people to him there. Okay, that's why he was not able to do many miracles there, many healings, because they weren't bringing people to him. Every place where he went elsewhere, when people came to him, what happened? He healed them. Okay, vast, huge multitudes. Uh, Alfred Edersheim says that if you go back and really study the history of that period, after the uh, ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, there was virtually no sickness in Judea during that period. After Jesus had his ministry, he would healed so many thousands of people. 
Uh, there were a few places, you know, there were still some sick people and things, but Christ had demonstrated that he really was the Messiah. Uh, he was able to do it, and uh, his power was limited simply by people not bothering to come to him. And so you wonder, well, what could be limiting God's power in my life? Uh, yeah, the inability or the unwillingness to come to him. See, the problem's not his willingness. The problem's your unwillingness and mine. But we need to realize God's more willing to, to answer our prayers than I'm willing to do it. And I think I'm willing. You know, I like, well, I kind of want to, you know. Well, then do it. You know, your will needs to be put into exercise and going to him. So your mind is not the measure of his power. Thirdly, we should be bold in our prayers. You know, it says in Hebrews, let us boldly come to the throne of grace so that we can obtain, obtain grace and find help in time of need. You need to boldly go to him. And that means because you need to know who you are. You're his child. Your sins are forgiven, not because you're so great and wonderful. All right. But because he is great and wonderful and gracious and compassionate and he's forgiven your sins and God has adopted you to be his own son or daughter. So be bold in your prayers. If you read it in the Bible and you go, I, I don't know how I can be holy. Well, God knows how you can be holy. I don't know how I can be more loving or kind, not because I've arrived, but because it just seems like it's not in my nature to be that way, maybe. And it isn't by your nature without God's help. But if he says he wants you to do that, then go to him and say, Lord, I need this. You've said in your word, you desire to see this in me. Please do it and get bold about it. In Jesus name, Father, I ask this and I'm going to trust you to do it because you said you would. You know, trusting the Lord really does open the door and God's pleased to work, but he works in us by faith. Number four, his infinite, unstoppable power is at work in us and among us. God is at work in us. He is doing a work. And that work is he's transforming lives. You know, people talk about miracles, signs, and wonders. God can do whatever he wants to do. But we have, you know, these traveling guys that go around and, you know, make short legs longer and all that kind of stuff. The greatest miracle you can see is somebody getting saved, someone being brought out of death into life spiritually. You see someone being sanctified, you see their nature changing, their character begins to transform over time because they're reading the Bible, God's at work in them. By the way, that's why they're reading the Bible. It's not like he owes them something. Uh, but they're, God's at work in them. And so <clears throat> his power is at work in us. We need to recognize that and give him thanks for that. If I was to ask you right now, you don't need to raise your hand, but if you want to, I don't care. If I was to say, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? And all, with all your struggles, all your failures and everything else, everything you know about Jesus from the Bible, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? It, I hope you, most of you, I think, pretty much everybody here, probably say yes to that, okay? That's not something you did, okay? God put his love in your heart. He's at work in you. And you might say, well, there's not a lot of fruit. Well, maybe there is. You know, if you walk up to a tree and it can be filled with it, you know, if it's an apple tree or I like peaches or apricots, you walk up to a tree and say, do you have any fruit? <clears throat> What's the tree going to say to you? If you're in your right mind, it's not going to say anything to you. Okay. Uh, if you go, well, I had a good conversation. No, that's not what that, okay. Trees are not aware of the fruit they're bearing. And I think sometimes Christians are that way. They don't understand how much they are influencing other lives. Okay, parents figure this out in regard to children. 
Well, sometimes you don't realize, you know, somebody will come up to you years later and say, yeah, I became a Christian because when you were at work, I was kind of watching you and I knew you were a Christian. Uh, and I, I saw there was really a difference in you. And I wanted, I got started where I wanted that. And so I started <coughs> looking into it. You know, you hear stuff like that. People say things to you. I had people come up to me and like, oh, yeah, you remember when you talked to me that time? That really helped me. And, you know, and I'm like, wish I remembered it. I usually go, oh, okay, great. You know, um, but we don't remember lots of times. We're not aware of it. But if you say, well, I need to bear fruit, more fruit. Well, okay, fine. But God maybe isn't showing you the fruit in your life because he doesn't want you to get proud about it. He wants you just to trust him and get your roots down. But God does work in us. And know that he is at work in you. Those little graces that you notice, like, I do love Jesus. I do pray. Not not well, necessarily, or not as often as I should. But I do that. I do love the Bible. I do love God's word. I love Jesus. I love God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God brought that about in you by his grace. He's at work in you. You need to recognize, go, wow, thank you, Jesus. You're working me. Please keep doing it. All right? So, number five, the glory of God ought to be the end of our prayers. That is the goal of our prayers and petitions. Note that, to him be glory in the church. That's the goal of Paul's prayer. That's the goal of his praise. All right? The glory of God. We're not here to glorify ourselves. We're not here necessarily to, as they say, win friends, but we are here to influence people. Um, the guy that wrote this, by the way, the fellow said, God is able. He's able to answer your prayers above and beyond what you can. This is a guy that got stoned, that was hated, whose name was cast out as vile, uh, who just was absolutely despised, who ended up having his head cut off by Nero Caesar because he, Paul wouldn't shut up about the gospel. Paul's first trial was because he you know, got the Sanhedrin angry at him. They wanted to kill him, so he appealed to Caesar, stood before Nero. He was acquitted because all of his accusers didn't bother to show up. Second time, though, Paul was arrested for being a troublemaker because he continued to preach. Nero was looking for somebody to blame for things. So they grabbed Paul, charged him with you know, uh, preaching that Jesus was Lord and not Nero, Caesar. And so Paul was arrested and put in prison and uh, if tradition and history tell us that, because the scripture doesn't actually say that's how Paul died, but Second Timothy was written probably within a, a week or two, uh, or in a short while at least, before Paul's execution. So the guy that's all filled with praise, adoration, and, and glory to God, this guy was beaten up, stoned multiple times, and had all kinds of people that hated his guts, and died a violent death at the hands of wicked people. So I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel here. You're going to follow Jesus. All of this comes with you picking up your cross and following the Lord. So remember that, okay? So when you're praying, pray that you can glorify him, whether in life or in death, okay? And remember that because this world's not your home. God may call you out of it through martyrdom. He might just let you live to be an old person someday. But however, it's, he's pleased to call you. Uh, if the Lord Jesus tarries, you're going to be called into his presence. So keep in mind, Paul's not here saying you're going to get everything you want. You're going to have all the money that, you know, you'd ever think to have. And you're just going to have everyone loving you and praising you. And you're just going to be like a rock star, movie star, you know, a big celebrity person. That's not what he's talking about. Your life, you're here to glorify God, to do his will and to be pleasing to him and learn to walk with him. What does the Lord require of you? It says in, in Micah, but to love mercy to do justly, and to walk humbly with your God. And you know what? Nobody might even notice it, okay? But God will. 
So if you feel like, well, nobody nobody notices that I'm really trying to be a good Christian, it's okay. God notices it, and and you know he, he's the one you need to live to please. The glory of God ought to be the goal of our prayers. Number five, the church, the ecclesia, the assembly of God's people, God's people. That's where God's glory is to be seen, and it where it is operational among God's people, because that's where the word of God goes forth by the power of the spirit and transforms lives. And then finally, seven, what is done in Christ will last for eternity. We need to remember that. What's done in Christ will last for eternity. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus or in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So the works that God brings forth in our life bear fruit, and they bear fruit unto eternity. I've never experienced eternity, all right? We have eternal life, but for the ages of the ages of the ages, okay? You know, as we reckon time, 20 billion years from now will just be beginning, and it'll be glorious, and our capacity to praise God and understand his goodness, grace, and glory will continue to expand as God pours out his blessings on us through all eternity. And he, there's no limit to it because God is infinite, as to who he is. And again, that's a little hard for us finite creatures to get a hold of, but God has no problem understanding it. He's called us to eternal life because he has eternal blessings that he wants to pour out on us. And it's going to take God forever and ever to do that. And there's no end to it. So God is great and he's to be glorified. So what does all this mean? As Paul says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Hope you'll get that into your heart. Memorize those two verses. Be really good for you in your prayer and in your walk with the Lord. And let the joy of the Lord be your strength and trust God and praise his name for all his blessings because it's all about him. It's all about God's glory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May God bring it about. Let's pray. Yeah. <laughs>